As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards. And they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavours of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Welcome to the SUPFM podcast with me, Simon Hutchinson. Every week, I chat with interesting people from the SUP world or to people who can help us, the paddlers of the SUP tribe, to improve and to maximise our own experiences and our love of both the sport and the water. Every episode is designed to inspire or to help you get a deeper immersion into the sport through my conversations with leading athletes, scientists, explorers, TED speakers and New York Times best-selling authors. And not forgetting some of the many insanely inspiring distance paddlers we've routinely had on the show. This week, I get to chat again with Joe Mosley who will be no stranger to you if you've listened to episode 86, where we talked about her film Brave Enough. In this episode, we talk about her new book, Paddleboarding in Great Britain, which, as we hear, was a real mission as she took whatever opportunities she had outside of lockdowns to visit a whole spread of locations, to paddle with local experts, and to put together this guide to the best locations to visit across Great Britain. I also invited a mystery guest who featured in the book, into the chat to join us partway through. So here for her second appearance on the SUPFM podcast is the fantastic Joe Mosley. Hi Joe, welcome back to SUPFM. Oh, thank you so much Simon. I'm hugely honoured to be back here. Thank you so much. Well, we really appreciate you coming back and although we only spoke last season, there's been so much going on for you since we had our last chat, including the very exciting release of your new book, Stand Up Paddleboarding in Great Britain. And I think we referred to it being in the pipeline, but it's finally out there. It is. It came out three weeks ago tomorrow um, with amazing, you know, wonderful welcome into the world, um, brilliant pre-orders. And yeah, it's been a it's been a journey in itself, but I'm just finally able just to kind of sigh you know have a good sort of exhale and and know that it's out there and and hopefully bringing joy well it certainly does that and I do want to talk about the book it is a great read but um, as I mentioned in our previous chat we had a very good conversation about your film Brave Enough which covered your journey coast to coast across the country on your paddleboard and which was turned into a rather beautiful film by the director, Frit Tam. And at the time, you were doing a lot of adventure festivals, and there were lots of showings out there, and you were doing lots of talks associated um, with that, and that was one of the things that you were known for. So 
So just to sort of go back a little bit and, you know, for the benefit of those who haven't seen the film yet or haven't read your book yet or haven't listened to your episode, um, you recorded with us here at uh, FM, which is episode 86. Uh, what was it that made you set out on that first um, coast to coast adventure? There was two things. Well, three things. First of all, I had the idea to paddleboard from Liverpool to Leeds almost immediately after I'd taken my first paddleboarding lesson in September 2016. I went from standing on Derwent Water going, this is amazing, I love it, to, oh, I think I'm going to paddle halfway across the country within literally weeks. I think it just had such a beautiful impact on me. But I was told when I shared the idea at Christmas parties that year that um, it sounded quite boring, logistically quite complex, and also too difficult for a woman of my age. So, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. And I wish that I'd had the confidence to say you're completely wrong, but I didn't. Um, and so I just held that dream. I, I kept it like a little dream in the sort of bottom drawer of my life and just kept looking at it and nurturing it. And then in 2019, there was really two catalysts. One was that my youngest son would be going off to university and I wanted to have a big dream to pull me to the future so that I wasn't that mum that was on the phone going, you know, what are you having for your tea and what are you doing? Can I come visit? I wanted him and his brother to have their own adventures. And by having my adventure, I felt that I would have that to to guide me and, and pull me to the future. And the second thing was that in the space of six months, I'd lost five girlfriends um, from different areas of my life, but only one of them had reached 50. And I just realized just the, that life is just really short, really precious, and it can turn, as we know, in an instant. And I thought, if I have this dream, even just the spark of the dream, all I need to do is give myself the chance to try it, get to the start line and see what happens. And I decided that rather than just go from Liverpool to Leeds, I'd go across the country and I'd go Liverpool to Leeds on the Leeds-Liverpool Canal, then swap onto the air and colder navigation and go the 162 miles all the way to Gould. So in a nutshell, from being told I couldn't do it and I probably shouldn't do it to doing it in three years. And it was quite an incredible journey um, and a really lovely film, very much um, life-affirming. And uh, as you said, one of the core messages I got, which uh, which that you don't have to listen to other people's views of you and to accept them and be defined by them. It's all about having a go and you might surprise yourself. Uh, yeah, definitely. And just taking that first step and then another step and then another step, not trying to see the whole journey at the outset, but just step by step a little bit each day and you'll get there. But yeah, getting all I really wanted to do was get to the to the start line and give myself the chance to do it and then see what happened. <laughs> so obviously I'd really recommend it because, you know, the other things that really stood out to me is the fact that you get to experience your journey at first hand through mm. what is a beautiful part of the world. And obviously I won't um, share the conclusion, but it's a very satisfying conclusion at the end of it. And when we last spoke, the film was exclusively being viewed in these adventure film festival circuits. But I understand that um, since then, it's been put out there for general release. Yes, yes, it has. So it's done the sort of rounds of the festival, so to speak. And now you can rent or buy it on Vimeo, so you can watch it in the comfort of your home. 
And yeah, it's doing really well. And we're getting views from around the world because obviously Vimeo allows people to do that, which is really, really lovely. Um, I didn't expect that. And people can see, you know, beautiful north of England, wherever they're based. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. No problem. And to our, our many listeners from across the world, if you're planning a visit to England, or at least if you want to feel like you visited England, then I'd really recommend Joe's film. And as you mentioned, um, it's there on Vimeo and all links as is traditional on the show will be shared in the show notes. Let's have a chat about the book. Um, mm-hmm. So, so let me put you in this scenario. You're at one of the the many glamorous publishing events that that you go to, um, <laughs> and you're sharing a cocktail with someone who may not have come across your book. H- how would you describe it to them? Oh, what a great question! I've never been to anything glamorous, and I don't drink cocktails. But thank you. Um, what I would say is, it's last summer uh, as we came out of lockdown. I took my wonderful paddleboard, Grace. And we traveled the country and we met lots of wonderful paddleboarders, the amazing paddleboarding community. And we went to lots of beautiful places all around the country and just experienced them. And I write about that in the book and I take people on the journey with us. And then there's lots of safety information and logistical information and where to buy a cake and how to be respectful of marine life. And it's just taking them on those stories and that journey with me to introduce them to beautiful places and wonderful people. Absolutely. And and it satisfies a whole load of sort of different needs, I guess, you know, from the practical. So there's a section Mm -hmm. at the front around various aspects of paddleboarding in a a practical way. But then you go into the various different locations and... um, And what's clear in there is the level of collaboration that went on in Mm. all sections because you had to engage with a a huge um, number of people in order to do that. And I don't think there's more than half a paragraph which doesn't have a reference to someone who helped you to to put all of that sort of stuff together. So it's a quite remarkable level of collaboration. But the first question I've got looking at things from a sort of more logistical point of view of you is um how did you get to decide the places that you wanted to paddle good question so first of all i mean we don't have that many paddleboarding books but we do have paddleboarding books within kayak and canoeing and paddleboarding so i knew the locations they had been and i thought out of respect both to the authors and to the audiences who buy these books I didn't want to duplicate. So I made sure that whilst I had places I wanted to go to, that I would try and have alternatives so that we weren't duplicating and it was respectful to the authors and to to the audience. And then I had this massive map that I would put on my um, lounge or kitchen floor and literally look at it and say, right, put little dots around the country so that I could try and cover as much of the country in the limited word count I have. And then I wanted to also be very clearly having different bodies of water. So I wanted coastal and inland, harbours, docks, locks, estuaries, salt marshes, rivers, canals, all of that so that people could understand that paddleboarding isn't just coastal and that there were places on their doorstep much closer to them that they could go to. And then I asked, I asked lots of people. Um, there's a wonderful author called Matt Gambles, who's a sup racer and sup surfer and whitewater sup up in Scotland. Um, he's written a book about paddleboarding in Scotland. 
And I just rang him and I said, this is what I'm looking for. Can you advise me? And he was so incredibly generous. I mean, that was really a hallmark of the collaboration, the generosity of people. And he said, yes. Um, And I was very clear that I wanted places which could absorb the numbers of people that I hoped would go. So I didn't have any really environmentally sensitive places. I had places where you could get to by train or metro or bus or car, but there had to be sufficient car parking space that we didn't overload the community. And, you know, people just talked through areas with me. And then there was also where I just said to somebody, I'm coming to Cornwall. I've heard about these places. Would you suggest this or that? And again, they just advised me. I I wanted that local knowledge. We always hear about local knowledge. And um, Annie Ridsell-Smith, who you may know from uh, Be Super, once said to me, it can take a lifetime to get to know your local body of water. So how was I going to get to know 32 bodies of water in five months or four months? Um, And so that local knowledge was absolutely key to me. So big picture and then honed it down, but always, always asking for local knowledge. Okay, so that's how you decided the places that you were going to paddle. When did you go and do this? Because the last couple of years haven't been great for for travelling and and visiting. How did you Mm. manage the logistics of going to so many places within such a a tight time frame? Yeah, so I was, we signed the contract in, I think, October 2020. And then obviously we were into lockdown two and lockdown three. And I waited until I'd had my first vaccination. And people were saying to me, you know, Joe, you could travel. It's your, you know, in inverted commas, it's your job. It's your work. You could travel. You know, you could kind of you could sort of legally get away with it, but it didn't feel right. That didn't feel right to me that I would ask people to come and paddleboard with me when maybe they couldn't see their granny or their granddaughter or or whatever. So I waited until I'd had my first vaccination. And so that was sort of May time. And then I just set out. And so it was sort of June, July, August and September. Um, I think the last one was sort of mid-September. So I had to cram in quite a lot and just ask people and and just say, can I come and visit? It was really, I'm quite an introvert. Um, and so it was really quite hard to sort of say, look, can I come and visit you? And can you take me places? But again, that, that generosity was just extraordinary. And then some places like the Galala Newquay, it was basically done on the tides. Steph um, Barnicote said, these are the tides, you know, the, the, the right tides for, for August, pick one. And so we just had to pick a date and then build Devon and Cornwall around that date. Could I just ask you to to read a little piece from the the book, please? Yeah, sure. So this is from the Ellswater chapter. And as I said, I started in the Lake District. So for me, coming back to Ellswater was really special. So writing this book has felt like writing a love letter to the beautiful places on our doorstep, our sport and the paddleboarding community that makes it so special. When my head was bursting with facts and maps, I added a note in my journal, let the research breathe, leave space for serendipity. This was a lesson I learned when crossing coast to coast in 2019. Chance meetings, the kindness of strangers and magical meteorological moments along the canal enrich that experience in ways I could neither have expected nor engineered. I'm grateful that serendipity has also played a part in the journey of this book. 
there have been times of wonder. Dolphins swimming past, watching an otter feed on the rocks, and a curious seal choosing to swim under my board. I've shared breathtaking sunrises and sunsets, the glassiest of waters along the coast, and with just the right amount of wind behind our backs, a few minutes whooshing along the water, laughing. The generosity of new friends sharing their knowledge and time has moved me to tears. There have, of course, been cancelled days, grey days and rainy days, as you have read. And there have been rainbows too. Lovely. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. I, I won't ask you your favourite location. That's a very trite question. <laughs> um, and I just so, you know, that that's so much below me. But because everywhere is different, what I did want to ask you about is um, where on your visit did you think I'd like to explore this location a little bit more? And what locations really surprised you? Maybe you weren't expecting to enjoy them quite as much as you did. Wow, what a great question. Um, ooh, let me think. What would Well, I'd love to spend, I think one of the advantages of Scotland, obviously with the right to roam, is that if you are responsible, you can stay overnight legally. And so I was bowled over by the evening that Lynn and I spent on Great Cumbrae. So we started from Porton Cross, which is believed to be the last resting place of the kings before they went off for burial in Iona. And we left from Little Castle, we passed a tiny island and then paddled round to another island and we slept on the beach. You know, we slept on our paddle boards. We took off the fins, put down our sleeping bags and our bivy bags and we slept on the beach and that was extraordinary. So yeah, more nights under the stars on a paddleboard on a beach would be wonderful. Um, I loved inland paddling and I love harbours and I love docks and I'd been to Liverpool Albert docks before back in 2019 but I really wanted to show people how you can paddle in the city so paddling for example in Bristol Harbour or Regent's Canal and Regent's Canal again is quite a short paddle but it's so interesting and you are in the hustle and bustle of London life and yet you're quite separated from it on the canal and likewise Liverpool Albert docks so I it's really hard where else I just would oh gosh what a question I would just love to go go back to everywhere and just explore further and see it in different seasons and that's the beauty of paddleboarding one place can look so different in different seasons and there were places I didn't get to that I'd like to get to but just simply because of word count and time I don't know if I've answered that question there. <laughs> no, you've answered it very fully. So you mentioned about um, locations you didn't get to. Just, just yeah. share some of those locations. And this may well set things up for a volume two. Who knows? Yes. I really wanted to go to Cambridge. Um, I felt that was a place I really wanted to go to, but just we didn't have word count space. I'd like to go to do more around more cities. I'd really like to go to more cities. I'd love to go to Edinburgh. I would obviously like to explore further along the Great Glen Canoe Trail. I'd like to go back to places and just explore it in more depth. Um, more of the canals, say, in Birmingham. And just, yeah, <laughs> honestly, everywhere. Everywhere. I, everywhere I could go to. But Cambridge was one place I really, really wanted to go to and just didn't have the space or the time. 
Well, I, I guess that's the intention behind the book, because it's all about sparking that level of, of exploration out there. And, mm. and it's a pretty voracious beast or, or sport stand up paddleboarding, because I know a, experience of a lot of people is that you know, once they, they do more, you know, that that doesn't sort of satisfy that appetite. You know, you just want to do more and more and discover more and more areas as your skills and your discoveries um, yeah. increase. So that seems to, to be the case uh, from your answer there as well. One of the other things in the book, and obviously something which is absolutely crucial to any form of, of peak sporting achievement is nutrition and yeah. eating. <laughs> and there's a practical need to identify those sorts of locations and to keep yourself properly hydrated and keep your strength up during all of, of these uh, journeys that, that you set out on. So so in terms of food highlights, you mentioned um, locations and, and so on. Where would you say your food highlights would be in the book? Um, when I was in Wales along the coast, I went from Llangranog to Trasaith and back with Claire and Sarah. And we went to a gorgeous, award-winning pizza place and had Guinness Guinness cake, which we shared with cups of tea, which was lovely. I had the most beautiful ice cream on Loch Tay, Flapjack off Loo Island. Um, yeah, my son and I, before I did the trip on the Regent's Canal, had a lovely Greek meal in Camden. So yeah, I did manage to kind of eat my way around. And I think that is lovely. Um, with Sarah Perkins in Oxwich Bay, I think we had chips, although there is a Michelin star restaurant, but we didn't go there. So yeah, it was it was really lovely just to share that. I think having a, a nice meal before or after is, um, or a snack is lovely. Oh yeah, with um, Becky Dickinson on the Exeter Shipping Canal, we went to um, a pub. I'd never paddled to a pub before. Um, and obviously we didn't drink alcohol. I don't drink alcohol anyway, but we, we wouldn't have done that. And we had a nice lunch before our paddle along the Exeter Shipping Canal. Um, so yeah, food did, did play its part. And then we had the nutritious food as well on board as well for the, for the longer trip. Well, it's all calories, and, and when you're on the water, you, you know you need those to keep you going. So, yeah, that is a real feature of the book um, as well. So, Joe, can you just tell us a bit about that front part of the book? Because it's not just the locations; there's also quite a considerable amount of advice and and guidance there. So, how did you put that together? Yeah, so that was that part of it. I could do in lockdown which was a good good exercise for me. And I just wanted to, as always, just have that sort of hive mind of the paddleboarding community. And so I asked some of the experts that I know, such as Brendan Prince of the Long Paddle, Ben Seal of WSA, asked Sarah Thornley for some of the, some people who she could put me in touch with about the history of paddleboarding in the UK. So Simon Bassett and... Yeah, I just I just wanted lots of really practical information for people um, on kit and leashes and boards and where to paddle and the different hazards. And obviously, it's not exhaustive. It's just, a, you know, a starting point. And then also marine life. So I, I did paddle with a marine ranger from the Cornwall Seal Research Group Trust, and I spoke to um, a an ornithologist about mudflats and birds and also Ben Seal of British Canoeing. So I just wanted to get 
really good information for people so that they could sort of be set up with that safety tips. And obviously, um, I talked to Professor Mike Tipton, basically, um, and I mentioned that I, I found him via your brilliant podcast with him. So Cold Water Shock. Just wanted to give as much as I could in a simple form um, for people to just to go out safely. Um, as we know, that's mm-hmm. if we have safety at the heart of everything, then we can keep enjoying paddleboarding. Absolutely. And and there is a mix of difficulty amongst the sessions that, that you mm. went out on. Obviously, you had the advantage of going out with people who knew that area, but it's kind of unique, I guess, to paddleboarding where there is a, a static safety environment where all the dangers potentially are invisible. So the wind, the cold and the, the various different levels of flow there. Um, it's mm. really important. And you've done that throughout the book um, to, to mark the, the, the level of difficulty or potential knowledge that's required in order to do yeah. those locations. So, for example, the Great Orm, which I did with Kaz Dawson of Sup Lass, was, was not one that I would say, you know, just rock up and do. And, and I've always given people and guides and instructors locally that people could go to. And I always think if you're going to a new place, you know, get that local knowledge. But we went from the West Shore to the North Shore around the Great Orm. But then I've put, you know, you could just stay close by to the beach. The beach was lovely. You don't have to do this longer journey. And so I've tried to at all places have the, the the beginner element and then the more advanced element and recommend people that they could go with. And then there are some which are obviously more accessible, such as canals, um, Exeter Shipping Canal, Bristol Harbour, Liverpool Albert Docks, they're much more, you know, they're not susceptible to the sort of tidal situations that you might have on the Great Orm or the Gannel or whatever. So, yeah, I've tried to offer different alternatives to people and places that they might otherwise overlook. I think canals can often be overlooked and yet we're all, you know, relatively close to canals. So, yeah, try to try to cover as many places as I could. Amazing. So... Did you see the bit about Mull where I very deliberately said, took your advice? Yes. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) Yeah, I really debated whether to put Mull in because I didn't actually paddle. But then I felt it was quite important to show, A, how beautiful it was and give Mm. people ideas. But then also put that, you know, I went all that way and I still didn't paddle. But that doesn't make it any less of an an adventure. So, um, yeah, I was keen to put that in. Excellent. Well, we've got a, a guest joining us. Hello, mystery guest. <laughs> well, that was good timing, wasn't it? I set that one up well. <laughs> Hi, Kaz. We've just been talking about you. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. And I was saying to Joe that um, for such a collaborative book, it made perfect sense to have some of the collaborators on here. So really appreciate you joining us. No, thank you, Simon. And uh, hello again, Joe. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, it was, wow. I, I'm still kind of blown away, really, to have been part of the book and to have met Joe and to have, um, yeah, got out on, on some of those paddles, really, and, and have the pleasure of, of guiding and sharing some of the areas that I really love in uh, in North Wales. So, uh, yeah, great. Thanks for inviting me on. It's, it's great to see you again. <laughs> oh, it's sweet. What a reunion. <laughs> This is the Sup FM podcast with my guest, Joe Mosley, and we'll be right back. 
As always, a huge thank you to Starboard, who are once again this season's main sponsors. Starboard has a history of innovation across water sports, starting in 1994 by revolutionising the design of windsurf boards. And they've brought that bang up to date recently, bringing foil windsurfing onto the Olympic stage with their IQ foil package. Starboard got behind stand-up paddleboarding in a huge way in the early days and continued to lead the industry to reduce their environmental impact. Their focus on innovation brought them seven world champions at the ICF Worlds last year, and all of them were using their Lima paddle range. They continue to improve and innovate their boards and their paddles for all abilities across all flavours of the sport, including adventure. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. Now for the rest of my conversation with Joe Mosley. The reunion episode, definitely, because obviously, Kaz, you've been on the podcast before and we'll share the link to to your episode as well. So it's great to to have you back on in in all areas. Um, Now, one of the things that I picked up in the book is that Joe stayed with you when she did your North Wales excursions. That was Barla Lake and and Clan did know. So I'm incredibly indiscreet possibly but uh, what's the goss on joe as a house guest were there any smashed up bedrooms televisions thrown through windows anything like that oh it was really raucous simon uh, i couldn't control her um <laughs> she was a pleasure um my board terry in particular spud um took a real shine into joe and uh yeah we sat out and we had supper and we were in the garden and it was it was just lovely and the, the evening she stopped over was actually uh, it was midsummer's it was it was actually 12 months ago to the day pretty oh, much it was midsummer's yeah. midsummer's evening we went out for a very very long paddle on the river d actually no i do remember what happened because we went for a really long paddle i remember joe you saying to me this is well past my bedtime <laughs> we were still on the river at 10 30 at night and um came back and I think it was either a piece of toast or some cereal that I fed you. So I was really bad as a guest. It wasn't actually a nice spread outside, now I could think about it. <laughs> it was the next day when we went to um, Clintegard. Yeah. We did have a nice spread then. We so, did. Yeah. yeah, food <laughs> Anywhere with Kaz, there's always going to be a Kelly kettle and some cookies. <laughs> well, I, I wanted yeah. to come on to that. I wanted to come on to that a little bit later because um, Kaz, uh, as Joe said, you've got a bit of a reputation as a bit of a, a foodie in the wild. So I do want to ask you about that. But um, Lake Barla and Plan Dudno, in terms of difficulty, um, Joe's um, already uh, referred to um, to, the, to the differences between those two locations. They are very, very different. Um, how would you describe th- those two locations in terms of knowledge required in order to paddle them? I think with both sets of water, neither are to be taken lightly. Um, pa- Bala Lake or um, Clintegid, you know, does have a reputation of, of sort of winds whipping up and it, it does really blow down the lake when it when it wants to. Um, but in terms of sort of probably more of a beginner's um, introductory paddle, you know, Bala Lake, you can kind of play quite close to the foreshore, you know, making sure, as you say, the winds play ball. Um, there are kind of people around, there's a jetty, there's a car park, it's easy accessible. Um, so it is a place that you could go in North Wales, um, similar to, to sort of other other very famous spots like Limpadan, uh, a little bit quieter perhaps. 
that can um, give you that opportunity really to get out in a in a in a safer sort of enclosed environment. Um, Llan did know, and the Great Orm is certainly a paddle um, not to be taken lightly. It's one that you know I've I've paddled numerous times and. Uh, paddled in various different conditions and for me to kind of gain my sort of knowledge and, and skill set um, so it's not one I would say you know if you've just bought a board to be sort of jumping out on and, and heading off around it's a very committing paddle um, there's not many outs on on that particular trip um, so it's it's lots of cliffs and, and different things um, there's some interesting sort of tidal features that um, around the kind of headlands and sense of sort of tidal um, races and, and how the water behaves and, and the currents and things. So it's, yeah, it's certainly what I would say is, is get a guide or certainly build up a knowledge and a skill set to a level that um, you feel sort of competent to, to run that paddle. And, and again, safety is key um, on, on both of those in terms of what you're wearing and comms and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, yeah, two very different paddles, um, but Part of the reason, you know, I think it just shows how diverse the region of, of North Wales is. Absolutely. And and stunningly beautiful. And, and there was a word that was introduced to me. I mean, I'd encountered the effect, but, and is, is this right? Clopotis? Clopotis, yeah. <laughs> I, do you know what? I went onto YouTube because I didn't want to make a fool of myself to work out what the pronunciation is. And they had some really weird American pronunciation of it. So I, I was none the wiser once I'd listened to that. So, so would you like to just explain what that is? Uh, well, you sit quite a lot um, around the Great Orm, um, and particularly it's it's kind of where waves hit a, a particularly sort of solid vertical um, sort of uh, piece of piece of kind of um, shoreline, really. So it could be a, a cliff, it could be a um, a you know harbour wall, it could be. Um, some some sort of, sort of uh, flood defence, for example, and it's where the sort of the, the waves hit, and as they hit, they kind of come back on themselves, and they um, basically sort of hit the the incoming wave. So it almost creates like a kind of cross hatch, really, of waves cutting across. So um, where you would have waves just coming from one direction, they're coming from both directions, and they they make almost. I describe it like a sort of like a check effect of, of waves going across, um, which makes for for quite interesting and, and fruity paddling. Um, so it's it's not an easy one to paddle because everything's coming from different directions, um, and obviously the bigger the waves, the bigger the the returning waves. So uh, yeah, Eucaplotus can be quite uh, yeah quite challenging uh, paddling conditions at times. And then just moving on to, to Barla Lake, um, I was rather concerned to see the Teggy monster being uh, mentioned <laughs> there. So I think it's really important that we, we sort of flag that as a potential danger. Could you just explain the, the Teggy monster, please? <laughs> well, I was introduced to the Teggy monster when I was probably, oh, I must have been about nine, ten years old. And I went on a, a school trip to Glantlin on the, the edges of Balla Lake. And they scared us half to death with this this monster, which is probably uh, Nessie's uh, younger sort of Welsh uh, sister, I think. Um, so, or it could be a, a brother. Um, but yeah, Tegid was this this monster that lived in the the depths of Bala Lake that would come out and, and grab you when you were on your your little uh, little raft when you were in Dunfermline. So. Um, it's kind of uh, sort of hung about, really, and um, I think it's just used to scare a lot of children, and and perhaps it could be a safety thing to stop them running into the water and uh, getting up to no good. But yeah, Tegid and uh, yeah, the Teggy monster. Uh, I've yet to see him or her, but uh, yeah, I do believe they're in the depths somewhere. 
<laughs> we didn't see Joe, did we? No, no we didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you both um, survived um, the Teggy Monster. And, and Joe, we talked a little bit earlier on about um, food and so on. I understand that as you've mentioned that the Kelly kettle is, is, is was uh, liberally used, and there was some uh, cake. Um, just uh, just as a power up um, involved in uh, certainly one of those sessions. Yes, yes, always, always a nice um, hot chocolate and cookies or cakes. Yeah, you never go hungry when you're with cows. <laughs> it's lovely. It just adds to it, doesn't it? It just adds. And actually, we have to say that when we did st- stop for our snack, um, going around the Great Orm, we also did a, a litter pick, didn't we? Because there was some barbecue, you know, mm-hmm. old barbecues there. So I think that we um, we made a difference, and then we had a little snackette, and then went on our way. Very, very important. And just on that subject, Kaz, um, I noticed from some of your more recent. That's it. Yeah. That's bird chasing a crow. No, <laughs> we, we've been there. So um, Joe's got seagulls in the background. They're a little less biddable to to, to sort of quieten down. So. Um, yeah, they but, have quite They have, haven't they? They obviously know there's a recording session going on. Um, but Kaz, um, I noticed from some of your recent social media posts, you've sort of doubled down on the, your culinary escapades. Um, and there was a particular one, a session where you went through an entire menu, which you produced out there in the wild on one stove. Could you just tell us a little bit about uh, that? Well, it's, it's something I've been trying to pin down for the last couple of years. And I think with the business and everything kind of going, I I just haven't had that kind of the, the, the thinking and the time and the space to be able to do it. So a few weeks ago, and we were probably on our second or third attempt just because of the weather, I managed to get a, a local adventure photographer, a girl called Harry, to, to come out with me. And um, yeah, we went out and I said, look, let's just throw everything in the kitchen sink in this. Let's see what we could do. And I think we were out in the water for about 10 hours. Um, I would say about four or five of those was cooking, eating, more photographs, cooking, eating, more photographs. So so we went out and we brought um, all of the ideas that I had. We actually brought them to fruition. Um, We found a wonderful location. And yeah, we just thought, what could we do? So we took lots of different cooking stoves and bits of kit and the Kelly kettle all went out. Um, and we just had a great time um, cooking up lots of local and seasonal um, Welsh ingredients um, to kind of showcase really what is possible on a paddleboard. And um, I think, you know, we, we we can do much better than a curled up ham sandwich. And I think we could go out and and even just making some very simple, you know, kebabs on a um, on a little sort of pita bread kind of wrap. Things like that are so, so easy to do that, um, you know, just with a little bit of a thought, a little bit of kit. And we've got the most perfect vehicle, which is a paddleboard to be able to carry that little bit of extra weight to, to being on our backs. I think we should really try and celebrate and, and go out and um yeah try and up our sort of culinary game really um so that was kind of the purpose of it and it, it sort of tied in you know what I did previously and and still do now in terms of my sort of food and drink consultancy work it, it ties all that in so nicely um so yeah it just makes people smile and we, I took a com- my first commercial trip out last week with it and the, the feedback we had, the smiles, the engagement, people sort of taking all of those skills away and trying different things. So that, that's what I want to do is just inspire people to to just push the boundaries a bit, really, and use that use that paddleboard as that that vehicle to to um, yeah extend their culinary uh, culinary adventures. 
Well, there, there was a mouthwatering menu in there, and uh, I'll include the link to, to your post. But you had your test tour on the D uh, for SUP Foodies, uh, fully catered, and hopefully that will be um, able to be opened up for other people this year, obviously, weather def- depending. Yeah, definitely. We're going to be putting some dates out. I think I've put already a date out for next month. But yeah, just keep watching. There'll be, I'm sure there'll be plenty other dates. And um, I've also been working with some other instructors as well to try and help them with uh, extending their knowledge and their offering different things across the UK. So that's been really exciting too. Wonderful. And then just getting back to, to the book, I presume you've received your, your copy of that. There we go. Just uh, showing on the camera there. Um, so are there any locations there that have really sparked up an interest? Well, I think the area that I would really like to paddle, and um, I think there's some really good locations in this book, and an area I'm not that familiar with really is the it's probably the southwest. Um, so sort of looking down more in that sort of the Cornwall, Devon, that, that location. Um, and it's it's it'd be great to try and get there back end of the summer, sort of early autumn when it quietens down a little bit. Um, and then the other one is up in Scotland um, with it's, it's Lynn, isn't it? With the micro adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I, I'd love to get up to see Lynn. Um, we've got sort of a Kelly Kettle in common and I think we could maybe share some stories there. So getting up to, to Scotland and I think the southwest at, at some point this year would be um a great thing great thing to do but the all of the the trips that joe's outlined in here um you know they're, they're just so clear so well written um it's lovely to see you know some of the paddles that you know some of my friends and fellow instructors have put in and um there's, there's just so much there and and already i've been hearing about instructors and people um you know we, we talk about joe signing the book but people have already come up and said can you sign the page that that you put that trip on and i know i know craig had i know claire people have, are kind of like bagging signatures depending on where they've been um and if they can hook up with the instructors that that went out with joe so it's lovely that it's kind of carrying on that community really and and people are seeing it as like a almost like a little tick off. Um, they're, they're going around the country and and using it for that little bit of inspiration. So I think that's that's oh, great. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's yeah. And that and that really occurred to me as well because you know then it turns into you know what is it in the Lake District you bag the Wainwright, you bag the Wainwright, and and it sort of turns into a self contained little game. So we've got we've got some Mosleys to. Uh... <laughs> Here, obviously. Yeah. yeah yeah and I forgot we were talking just thinking about food when I went over to see Sam Rutt who's been on your podcast hasn't she Simon she has yeah, yeah. wonderful wonderful she always gives people um a little box of Fortnum and Mason chocolates afterwards so yeah everywhere you go there's food and paddleboarding yeah absolutely and it's incredible how how these connections fit together because I was on the beach yesterday met one of Sam Rutt's uh, racing clients there and we had a r- really long chat and that that was a really good session as well for you Joe, wasn't it because that was wells by the sea wasn't it that looked yeah beautiful. that was a salt marsh paddle oh just stunning absolutely stunning and I'd gone I'd, I'd heard about Sam and, and sort of read about her and read about her location and there's this beautiful beautiful lifeboat horse um sculpture that um was commissioned and then once the, the art commission um, had finished, the town bought it and it, it sits on the sand just opposite sort of the, the harbour wall. And, 
And when the tide rises, it's like this horse is walking through the water. And it's all to reflect the the RNLI heritage of the town. And and it was just so unbelievably stunning. So I, I really went for that. And then we went through the salt marshes and we saw the samphire and the sea lavender. And yeah, it was just incredible paddleboarding paddleboarding with Sam, who's obviously just so highly accomplished as um as a racer and and, and her adventures. And the whole thing was just um extraordinary and and yeah I'd never walked in sands that was so soft uh, as as in wells and and I wanted lots of different everywhere I went that had any RNLI heritage I wanted to include that or any link to the to the RNLI and talk about the boats in Solcombe mm. and yeah anywhere that that there was a, um, an RNLI connection I wanted to explore that as well because obviously we're all so incredibly grateful to them for looking you know, after people on the sea, and I've got a massive family connection to the RNLI. So, yeah, that was a really special place. Well, it's fantastic. Thank you, Kaz, so much for for coming on, supporting the episode, supporting Joe, and uh, as I said, the collaboration and the shared aloha of the sport really shines out both in the work that that you do, Joe, and also the collaborators on the book. So, obviously, all links will be there in the show notes to everything that we've discussed as we know stand-up paddleboarding in great britain is a bucket list of fantastic locations to browse through when you're off the water wherever you are in the world joe kaz thank you so much and and joe when where can people buy your book it's in lots of independent bookshops and and stores like waterstones it's also available from vertebrate publishing directly my publishers and then um, amazonbookshop.org so yeah or me <laughs> people can buy it from me too but yeah there's lots of the normal places so and lots of lovely lovely independent bookshops that i'm doing little book festival talks with too fabulous joe kaz great to catch up with you both and look forward to seeing you on the water yeah thank you so much simon i really appreciate it no thank you simon and uh, yeah i'm sure i'll speak to you soon